Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Tom Calus is a successful organizational consultant located in Westminster, Colorado. Tom studied psychology and economics and received his undergraduate degree from Colorado State University. After finishing his undergraduate degree, he went straight into a combined master's and PhD program in counseling psychology with a minor in quantitative psychology at Ohio State University. Following the successful completion of his PhD, he was a practicing psychologist for several years after that. During this time, he had also worked with organizations as a consultant and conducted training and adult education programs in how to apply psychology to leadership. He left private practice as a psychologist in 2008 and turned his focus to his organizational consulting on empathy and leadership training. Tom has been putting on emotional intelligence and leadership workshops, doing exclusive coaching and organizational consulting for his first company, TDK Consulting. His work also focuses on applied social neuroscience and what is going on inside our brains. He helps people to understand the hard science that supports the soft skills and why the soft skills matter from a neurological standpoint. He has worked with scientists and law enforcement to help them gain a better understanding of how to talk and interact with each other and how to influence people. Tom has several years of specific consulting experience with software development processes, specifically agile software development. He was a leader in a software development organization and trained people in how to use agile methods. Agile refers specifically to a different method for project management. This style emphasizes completing work in little chunks in order to get more feedback from users, even as the project is being built. The feedback is built into the product cycle as you go on with the development process. It is feedback driven rather than a plan driven process that is typically used in more traditional project management methods. Tom hopes to further his success in organizational consulting by continuing to innovate and improve on previous methods and practices. Happy New Year, Industry Elites listeners. We are very excited to have Tom Kaluz, founder of TDK Consulting, LLC, on our very first episode podcast of 2021. So welcome, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So glad to have you on and joining us. Did you really have a good new year starting off fresh? Do you have any 2021 resolutions to start your year? You know, it was a great uh, beginning of the year. I will say that I don't really do resolutions. I've found that... Um, I never follow through on them. I'm one of those people, like if I bought a, some gym equipment or something like that, it would just end up uh, being a place for me to throw my clothes on after about a month. So I just try to keep a positive attitude and, and you know keep moving forward and continually improving regardless of what time of year it is. I think I can speak for Vicky and I. We're probably on that same boat. Maybe Vicky has a little bit more of that drive, but for myself, I could find, yeah, Probably same thing. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking that I have a rower and it's one of the foldable ones. And right now my rower is being, is completely folded up and it's being used as a closed drying rack in my apartment. So <laughs> I can't comment to that at the moment. Well, that, that's exactly what's happened with me. If I have, you know, I've gotten exercise bikes in the past and they just end up being placed for me to, to hang up my jacket when I walk into the room or something. So j just not great at following through on those New Year's resolutions. Fair enough. You know what, though? I find for me, at least if I kind of set the bar low, 
everything beyond that, the expectations are just a lot greater. But I feel like my resolutions, I guess, that you could say every year are just kind of the same. Like, you know, try to be as healthy as possible, try to be as positive as possible, and just kind of like, I guess those kind of basic things to get you through versus like, this year I'm going to learn how to skydive or something kind of like you know you're probably not going to accomplish that but it's worth the effort to think about it it's, it's not going to happen can't leave our home. one of my uh one of my mentors back in the day used to tell me um really your new year's resolution should just be to suck less this year <laughs> I like you that. know what and that's very fitting for the year that we all just had I i'm gonna like put that down a little post-it note and look at that for the rest of the year <laughs> definitely ideal. So I think with most things, consensus is we set the bar low, have it be super general, less disappointment at the end of things. But I think that's probably better for our mental health overall. As we can see, 2020, a large conversation has really been focused on as well as obviously the virus itself, but our mental health and how people have been handling everything over the course of this year and obviously into this new year that we've started now. So how do you believe, Tom, that that's really had an impact and how do you think people are going to be maybe permanently altered from kind of going through this past year? You know, it's it, this has been such a challenging year and yet, like with anything, there's a silver lining. There's, there's always good that comes out of the bad. I think that there'll be a lot of good things that, that come out of this, particularly, you know, we've already seen technology-wise with the advent of Zoom and all these other, you know, Google Meet and who, whatever platform you use, we're, we're learning how to connect with each other across boundaries like we never have before. And, and I think we're going to continue that trend. And I think that's a good thing. The problem is when it's only that, we're all craving some real face-to-face -face, uh, interactions with each other. I think we have learned that we really are social beings and we really do need those connections. And even though we can connect online, it's just not the same as being in, in the same room with each other, right? So I think we're gonna find a better balance of using technology, but I think we're gonna find that we really, you know, in the long run, we need to get back together with each other and, and build those, uh, those human connections again. And I think we're, we're really seeing the value of that uh, not only in families, but in organizations, you know, the, there's just nothing replaces that human connection. Do you think with the kind of ongoing themes now, um, kind of around the world that we have on and off lockdowns, and then I guess the coveted term of the new normal, where do you think this is going to take kind of the longstanding effects of mental health? Um, I realize at the time, there's a lot of things that are you know, kind of helplines, kind of ideas to keep in touch as best we can. But if this becomes like, this is it now, how do you think we can kind of get over that? Or do you think that we'll just kind of learn to adapt? Yes, I think we're going to learn to adapt. That's, that's what human beings do. Um, you know, whenever we get presented with a challenge, uh, I've often had, you know, clients ask, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And the real, the real answer is that we'll figure it out. We'll adapt. Uh, we've been adapting for you know millions of years and we're gonna adapt to this. But we are gonna have to be creative in terms of how we, we connect with each other. Finding again, technology helps. We can do therapy online, uh, do a lot of coaching online. 
even presenting and training online, but it still just doesn't quite have the same impact as being in the same room. So we've got to figure, we've got to figure out how to get back into the same room and obviously hoping the vaccines help. But, you know, I think one of the biggest problems that we've had as a result of this past year and the shutdowns is that people are very isolated. They're very alone. And it's hard to measure the impact that that has. Certainly depression is going to go up. We've seen suicide rates go up. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a big challenge and we have to balance that against the risk of being in the same room with one another. It's definitely a lot to unpack, even just thinking of just that response that you gave. There's so many aspects and new things that we're having to think about now that we obviously previously didn't have to really consider. So just touching on one of them would be change. So obviously, in general, I think change is a hard thing for some people just because we like comfort. We like knowing kind of what's coming, right? And with change, that brings a lot of like uncertainty and just not knowing what comes next. So just with that, and obviously that kind of incorporates with mental health as well, is how can people handle that change in the best way? Like what are some tools that who people who might be struggling with this, what would you say to someone in that situation? There, there's a lot to unpack in that question as well. Um, it, it's a great question. <laughs> Loaded questions no, all around. It's, no, it's great. <laughs> there's just a lot of, there's a lot to, to navigating change and, and uncertainty well. You know, the first thing is to remember that change has a component of loss in it, right? And so we have to be willing to grieve what we've lost. And so that means going through the process of accepting what's no longer normal, what's no longer there. Uh, and we don't take time to do that. We don't, we just, you know, we know we feel discomfort, but we don't necessarily take that moment to say, oh gosh, you know, I really miss being in the same room with grandma or the grandparents who, who can't be in the same room with their, their kids. They, they can often get, or their, and their children or their, their grandchildren, they can often get stuck in being angry about that or, you know, kind of being in denial about that. And really what we've got to do is kind of embrace that loss and grieve that loss. At the same time, we have to be looking forward. We have to be thinking about what's next. We're not stuck here. This is a, you know, if, if, if you read the Bible, it says, you know, over and over, and I'm not trying to be religious. I'm just, I'm just using that as an example. It says over and over, this, this too shall pass, or, you know, or so it came to pass. It never says, so it came to stay. Thankfully. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this too shall pass, you know, th this is going to, this is going to move on. So we need to be thinking about what did we lose, but what are we going to gain? And what, and focusing on what we do know, not on what we don't know. When we focus on the uncertainty, we focus on what we don't know, then we put ourselves into a space of being afraid. And that fear is going to work against us when we can say, this is what we do know. You know, we, we know that there's a vaccine out there. We know that it's going to come to us sooner or later. We also know that the coronavirus is mutating, right? And so we need to get this moving sooner rather than later. And, and we, we do know that sooner or later we'll beat this. We, we, will be, we will get beyond this, but we're going to have losses along the way. Things are going to change. So focusing on what you, can, what you do have control over, not on what you don't have control over. And, a lot of, and again, going back, letting yourself grieve the things that 
aren't going to be the same. And we're not quite sure what's not going to be the same, but we can know that it's not going to, it's not going to all be the way it was before this all hit. Yeah. It's kind of, I feel like at least here, especially in Canada, we have a coveted patio season. And that is the one thing. <laughs> I know it sounds really silly. I know it really the does. Serious that's, answer, and then I know. that's <laughs> awesome. We, we've gotten to the patio. You know what? I'm very upset about it. Okay. <laughs> that's great. As I look outside, and it's like minus four right now, gray and dismal. I think back to my missed, beloved patio season, especially to where I live. I live in the downtown core. There's no, yeah, you have everything. Buddy. Yeah, and there's no grass. Like, no one has backyards. Like, so patio season is almost, like, that much more important. And <laughs> the fact that I couldn't even, like, go outside for most of the summer was, I would honestly say, very, like, detrimental to not necessarily, like, my mental health, but I feel like, like, my spirit almost. You know what I mean? It's almost like kind of gives you this like defeatist attitude of yeah it's just I don't know it's just especially too like so I'm in I'm in an apartment building so I've been calling this place my concrete cell because now that you can't you can't do anything because I originally moved here to go to the restaurants and to kind of experience that urban culture and then now you just can't and I feel like Unless we really figure this out, I feel like that's the, like, number one thing for me that is definitely not going to come back. Like, I realize you can still order in and stuff, but I feel like when you go out for dinner, it's not the food is part of it. It's, like, the going out, the kind of seeing yeah. people, the whole... Different environment. Yeah, and I Different feel like... experience. Exactly. I feel like that is probably the number one, like, off the top of my head besides the fact that... I don't know, or just, like, weird things now. Like, I feel like when you think about it, like, why did we shake each other's hands all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just pass germs back and forth that way. Yeah. Or like, that why seems are like we, a good and idea. why are people just washing their hands now? Now, right. Like, that's what I want to know. <laughs> right. This, this is really some, like I said, we're going to have some good things that come out of this. Maybe we're going to slow down, you know, the transmission of other diseases. But, you know, to go back to your point... The, those are big losses. We didn't realize how much we liked getting out. We didn't realize how much we, you know, going out to eat is a, is a great example. Yes, it's the food, but it's more than that. It's the experience. It's the people watching. It's the interaction with um, the wait staff. It's, you know, it's the ambiance. And those are the types of losses that we need to allow ourselves to grieve a little bit. Having said that, I think we have to believe that stuff's coming back. It may be different. Maybe they're not going to pack so many people into a restaurant from now on. Um, maybe we're going to have more out, you know, outside, up, you know, up, up north where you are. It probably doesn't do as well, but we have a lot of outside patio dining we can still do here in, in the Denver area. You know, and and so they're being oh, very wow, that's creative. Nice. Yeah, no, we have nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too cold. <laughs> it's freezing. Well, I, I have to admit, I just had a really cold dinner. I sat outside, and they had one of those portable heaters, but it was really chilly, and and it was the fastest dining experience I'd ever had. I just, you know, I was <laughs> in and food, out. Food, eat, and you're like, I'm and out. I got to get to the car <laughs> where the heater's on, you know. Uh, so. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying, but we haven't quite figured it out, you know, but hopefully we can get the ventilations figured out. 
there's so much technology that's being developed as a result of this it'll be really interesting to see how it changes how the technology of this changes our lives and maybe makes indoor being indoors safer just in general going forward we can only hope so i mean like vicky said that's stuff that we really did look forward to and as you mentioned that's something that we do have to grieve which you don't really take a second to think about you don't think about how much we've missed that stuff but when you put it in that perspective it's like oh yeah i really just i can pay like some delivery thing to come and bring me my food and still spend the money but at that point i feel more better when i'm going out spending my money but i had like a experience that just wasn't in my home then at that point why don't i just make something because i didn't get any like other satisfaction from that, I guess, exchange. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, it's more, we're paying for more than just the food when we go out. We're paying for that experience. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So Tom, as you have started your career, currently right now, you are an organizational consultant. So obviously before that, you had a career in which you started often and you wanted to begin and you were interested in just the world of psychology. So we are interested in just hearing about what led you to kind of pursue that direction in the beginning of your career? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I actually started out, I went to Colorado State University for my undergraduate work, and I started out as an economics major of all things. Thought I wanted to be in the business world and was interested in that. And funny, economics and psychology have a lot in common. They're both behavioral sciences. When I got to Colorado State, I got involved in the residence hall system and became a resident advisor, you know, where I lived on the floor. I actually lived on a floor with a bunch of football players. And I was kind of like the dad, the floor dad, if you will, you know, kind of made sure everybody stayed out of, out of trouble and followed the rules and, you know, kind of was a, a go between between the, you know, the people living there and, and the residence hall system. And as I was going to school, I I had that experience, which got me into uh, a lot of leadership training, and that started to introduce me a little bit to psychology. And then I took a few psychology classes, and I got into it, and I realized I liked psychology even better. I was really interested in the science of psychology. A lot of people think of psychology being, you know, everybody's a therapist, and that and that's not really true. There's a lot of researchers out there. There are a lot of therapists, but I got into psychology because I was really interested in how the brain worked and social neuroscience, what's going on inside our brains when we're interacting with other people and what's happening, happening chemically to us uh, when we interact with people. And uh, just one thing led to another and I ended up switching majors. Actually, I have a double major, I had psychology and economics, and then I was fortunate enough to get into one of the top-ranked PhD programs in psychology at the time at Ohio State and just continued the, the, my passion for wanting to understand what makes us tick in relationships, how we learn, how our attitudes uh, are modified. And then that kind of led into applying that to leadership and to organizations as my career developed. Um, but it was really just a passion for wanting to understand this, this thing called the, a human being and, you know, seeing us as an animal, if you will, it kind of interacting with our environment and figuring out why we do what we do. So what you kind of said there reminded me of a class that um, I took in college. I 
majored in graphic design and marketing, but we had a choice of electives, whatever we wanted to do. Um, I ended up sweet talking the admin lady and getting the whole elective book um, <laughs> versus the ones because the ones that were related to us were like very creative, um, but they were stuff that you like kind of needed to know. Like you could learn guitar, but at 19, I wasn't going to start playing guitar when everybody else already knew how. But anywho, um, you, you should have. Could... That's when I started. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Yep. See, Vicky, there would have been you help. Know, done it. I have had two guitars in my life. I inherited my grandpa's very old electric guitar, and I am currently staring at an acoustic guitar, collecting dust in my living room at the moment. But maybe one day I'll get there. Oh, and I went on a phase where I bought a ukulele and tried to play that for like an hour. <laughs> oh, I'm in page. But uh, be hilarious. I always get stopped when I realize I have to like read notes actually play yeah and i'm like can i do because i can vaguely play the piano but my friend's mom used to put um little sticky notes on each key for the letter and then write it above the sheet music so i'd be like okay i just gotta find a so i can do yeah. that but <laughs> i can teach <laughs> yeah, you to play see, i would be like that. i can teach you to play guitar virtually we, we can make it happen okay there you I'm go down for that let's do that <laughs> Um, thank god for virtual I know really eh? Uh, but so I opted for something kind of different something that I was interested in I opted for and now this does sound a little harsh and crazy but it was it's called the social side of homicide so it was a cycle or um, psychology course based around serial killers and basically what how they perceived everything and what you just kind of mentioned about that just pretty much ticked every box as to why I took that class because it did talk about kind of the neuroscience behind it. It did talk about, I guess, as animals, like kind of what makes us tick. And I thought that was the most interesting class. And I could honestly say that was one of my highest marks and highest attendant rates in my whole wow. <laughs> post-secondary career. <laughs> Well, it's it's right down my alley. That, that's what I do. But I, I don't I don't study the serial killers. Um, although I I do know some people who do. Very fascinating stuff. But it's really interesting to see how we don't stop. You know, we I talked before. We don't really stop to think about grieving the things that that we've lost. We also don't stop to think about how organizations are built up or built around you know individuals within that organization and how we how we affect each other and how we're different with different people. Everybody gets a little different view of us. We we react to them differently, you know, to each person in our life differently than we do the next person. And, and yet we maintain this consistency throughout it. And it makes organizations really challenging, uh, especially when you get damaged people in those organizations. Yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, just another kind of follow up with that. When you were kind of learning you did mention things that you found interesting, but when you were learning, was there kind of a, a case study or a very interesting point that really stood out in your mind to kind of be like the realization of like, wow, this really is kind of really cool to learn? Oh, wow. That's, I, I, I don't remember, a, you know, a particular case. Certainly learned a lot of, about different cases. You know, it was really more of, I wouldn't say it was a particular case as much as it was probably the teachers themselves that guided me. 
I remember um, Scott Hamilton was his name. Uh, there was a professor at CSU, Larry Bloom. There, there were just some some people that I, I think I was so kind of enthralled by their intelligence and the way that they analyze things that I think it was more, again, it was, it was probably more about the relationships I had with them and their willingness to share their process and what they'd learned than any particular one instance of, you know, a, a bizarre, <laughs> a bizarre case out there. Although Freud himself is a very bizarre individual and interesting to study. But I often found that I didn't really like him very much from what I learned about him. That's a good question, but I don't really remember a, you know, a particular case sticking out until I became a therapist. And then obviously there were some very interesting people that I met along the way. Speaking of murderers, I've, I sat down with a couple and had to interview them. They were in a jail system and needed mental health uh, services. And so I have had the the experience of sitting down with people who have admitted to killing other people. And that, that was a very interesting, you know, tr trying to trying to allow yourself to be empathetic with a person who's made, you know, the most grievous error that we can think of in, in our world. Yeah, I was just going to say what, like, that experience, that seems like, like, I wouldn't even know you're sitting in that experience to be able to put ourselves in your shoes of like, what that would have felt like for you like do you get angry are you like like you said you're trying to empathize with them but like do your personal emotions or your personal thoughts like are those hard to combat when you're in that type of situation like i'm just thinking what would be going through kind of your head at that point yeah um th that's a really good point you know i i think because i wasn't so personally attached to the to the situations you know i was hearing about it third hand i think i was able to kind of keep my my judgment and my emotions out of it, which allowed me to be fairly empathetic and kind of focus on what was happening in the room at the moment and what their needs were. It was probably more later when I sat back and went, you know, these people, they were, they were much more normal than you would think, you know? Um, what they shared in common was that they both in the heat of a moment had a gun available to them and they wish they hadn't. And, and they pulled the trigger, and in that moment, their in an instant, their lives changed. Yeah. I, I think it also helps. I've, I've been around enough people and, and, you know, thousands of people I've interviewed. You realize we're all good and we're all bad. It, to say somebody's a good person, that, that's, that's hard to make that, that judgment across the board. <laughs> We've all made mistakes. We've all had things in our lives, I think, that, that we wish were different. Most of us lead a good life most of us don't do significant harm but we'd be surprised about the capability we have to do that if we're not careful and on the other hand you know calling somebody all bad what you usually find is that somebody's made mistakes and they can compound on themselves but they didn't probably start off being bad per se obviously there's there are some examples or you know people on the edges that really are evil uh, or at least seem to be evil or don't have a conscience that kind of thing but most people are are generally good people who make some mistakes along the way yeah it's kind of when i was in my class my professor she used to i don't know how she got to this but she had kind of a pen pal system with a lot of inmates um some kind of noteworthy american and canadian kind of 
I guess by definition, serial killers, but not like known one. Like we're not the ice pick yeah. killer or something. Right. But, <laughs> well, um, there's more out there than you'd realize. Yeah, yes. that's, that's true too. Especially if you go by definition, right? Right. But right. she would form these friendships with them, basically, for lack of a better word. And what she would do is she would just talk to them, and she would all all by letter. Um, and she would kind of pass around the letters in class. And I always thought it was the most kind of surreal thing because I would say most of them were just telling her literally their life story. Um, some of it very dark, but they kind of express it in a way of like, oh, yeah, it rained last week. Meanwhile, it was something very horrible yeah, happened. Super like nonchalant. Yeah, they were very kind of, I guess, chill about it for a lack of a better word. And then... They would send her, everyone would send her pictures. They would like hand drawn pictures and some of them would almost be anything from kind of ring imagery. Yeah, like very gruesome or very like, you know that standard picture a seven year old would draw of like their house and their family? Kind of like that. And it was just such a, yeah, and it was such an interesting kind of like, balance between the two some of the dark ones though i will admit it was very eerie just holding those letters like it was just there's bad juju for holding these i don't want to do it <laughs> absolutely and and i think that's again the difference between maybe somebody who has pulled the trigger and wished that they hadn't which is very different than somebody who has a morbid you know interest in in seeing people suffer or or die um, and, and luckily there are, when I said there's more of them out there than you think there are, but there's very statistically small number. I mean, luckily we, th those are, they're rare statistically, but you know, as your professors found, there's, um, there's quite a few out there and they share a lot in common. I think you'd find most of them have very horrific upbringings or, or they just genetically, you know, neurologically just aren't quite right. The center of the brain that is in charge of empathy doesn't work. They're, they're not really able to put themselves in another person's shoes. It's almost like they see another, another human being as, a, as an object, not as a person. See, that's definitely interesting when you, when just based on what we we're just saying now, like the perspective of putting yourself in the individual's shoes and how we all, or for the most part, people that we are surrounding ourselves with, they also have that that ability and we see that now like every day you hear something and you're like oh i that would suck to be like this person i couldn't imagine going through this so i couldn't imagine not having that feeling of not being able to empathize or not being able to put yourself in someone's shoes or to see a perspective of someone else i can imagine how that would be very narrow minded i guess like that not even on purpose like you're saying that could be some off balance aspect of something not being neurologically right or neurologically sound but it's just interesting that that's what individuals go through but going off of what i was going to share was off of vicky was saying about your professor was taking that into a technology aspect now obviously social media all things have gone different things go viral you see all these videos of things in situations that you generally wouldn't see before because social media didn't exist and you see them quicker now on social media than you would see maybe in on the news in the sense but there's this individual who's on this one app TikTok who connects with um inmates and different I guess creates that pen pal situation but I guess it's just through phone calls and she set up 
um, a online shop where she sells like their art. So I guess they drew like pictures or sketches or different things like that where they would send them to her and then she would send the, sell them on this platform called Etsy and then give them the money. So I just thought that was interesting of like someone who just genuinely has that want and need to give those individuals that support, whether that's a situation they've gone through or not. But it's just interesting because you wouldn't see that if it wasn't on social media. Right. And it, and it goes back to, you know, this, this idea of empathy. And I talk a lot about it in the work that I do. Empathy and judgment are opposites of one another. When we critically judge another person and we're talking about a population that is easy to judge, right? That, that we can say, hey, you made a horrible mistake we're we're going to judge you negatively for the rest of your life which then what we find when you when you judge somebody negatively then you turn off empathy it turns off your ability to put yourself in another person's shoes they're like mutually exclusive territory so in order to be empathetic we have to put down judgment we have to say i'm not going to judge this person negatively um, I'm going to accept them. I'm going to, you know, forgive them, if you will, or whatever she has done to connect with these people. They're responding in kind. They probably don't get a lot of empathy in their lives anymore. And so this person comes in and does this, these acts of empathy, and it probably is, is very helpful to these inmates and, and very healing in, in some ways to know that they're not being shunned because the worst thing that we can do to another person in society is shun them, is to not let them in. And we see that a lot if we take it even beyond, you know, outside of this, the, the prison kind of situation we've been talking about or the inmates. And, and just think about politically, especially down here in the U.S., um, we're starting to, you know, we're, we're getting factions down here where we're judging each other so negatively that we're having a hard time empathizing with each other. And I, that's even more than the coronavirus thing that we talked about earlier. What I'm concerned about is the erosion of empathy in our world. E even though we are more connected technology-wise, we're also more judgmental than we've ever been and, and less willing to forgive each other. And I'm really concerned about that trend. I'm, um, th that's probably what bothers me more than anything as I look forward to what's happening in this coming year. Yeah, it's kind of funny too with that video, um, the one, cause she has a series of them and the one guy that she was helping, I forget the numbers, but just for the example is, so these, I believe it was stickers, right, Natalie? She was making? Yeah, yeah. I think it was stickers. So yeah. she sold, yet again, it's not the right numbers, but just for easy. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a high amount, don't get me wrong. So we'll say like she told him that she sold 10 grand worth of stickers and without hesitation he was like wow you take half this guy who is in jail who came from absolutely nothing right off the top no hesitation was just like you take half and she was just like no like i'll just take the cost so we can keep doing this but like i don't want anything from you and then he was like almost kind of like pushy about it like he's like take it please no yeah and it was like kind of honestly like probably one of the most selfless acts i've seen in a long time and i know that doesn't really speak highly of society where it has to come from tiktok but <laughs> yeah no, but it's true no it's it gave me the chills i was moved i was like that was really really nice and she didn't have to do that no 
It was just, and yeah, is he just honestly without hesitation? Like he was just completely stunned, and he was like, "No, you take half right off the top." Wow. Yeah. Well, and and again, it it just goes that to show even if you've made mistakes, it doesn't mean you're you're, you know, a criminal at heart. It doesn't mean that that's how you define yourself. That that humanness, and that's one of the good things about you know we talked about social media taken as one direction without empathy. On the other hand, here's an example of empathy as it's occurring you know TikTok bringing empathetic uh moments to life for us so it, it's i i have a love-hate relationship with social media it's so easy to hide behind your handle on social media your facade and to be mean and vindictive and forget to be human if you will and yet on the other hand it brings us human moments that we would never see otherwise yeah it definitely does um i guess to kind of bring it full circle kind of i guess with everything that's going on in the world today let it be covid kind of our dipping in our empathy levels what would you say is kind of the best way to ensure that we try to keep positive and try to keep up our mental health not just only as individuals but i guess as society as a whole I would say we've got to get rid of the negative judgments the, the most we can. The more we can open ourselves up and be vulnerable with each other, being honest with each other, you know, putting down some of that facade and allowing yourself to be wrong, allowing yourself to learn from other people. We've gotten so into protecting ourselves and our own points of view that we're forgetting to be empathetic. We're forgetting to, to connect. So there's very clear research that shows that our happiness and our health are both very much tied to the relationships that we have in this world. The happiest and healthiest and longest living people have one thing in common, and that's at least one really healthy relationship, that they're really connected to another person and uh, in a positive way. And so I think the way through this is we've got to we've got to learn to connect in healthy ways with the people around us and build that that support system if you will it really affects us at a neurological level you know within us the the deep insides of us are connected to other people and and the oxytocin that that releases when we're connected the the love that we feel that that's a very that's the most powerful medicine we have. So uh, I would say we've just got to connect with people in healthy ways. I definitely agree. And like you said, taking the judgment out of there and just really just normalizing maybe our whole situation and putting everybody on the same level will really maybe help that. Obviously, that's a bit more difficult to just the regular individual be like, hey, let's just like think of others and not just ourselves because right now we're fighting over toilet paper and grocery stores. Like they're not, there hasn't been more of a time that you haven't been thinking of yourself maybe now. And like, yes, we've had time of like to ourselves, self-reflection, but you've also been like, okay, like if we go into lockdown, do we have enough food? And then you're rushing to the store to find something. So it's really just getting that balance of like, we need to take a kind of a chill pill and <laughs> relax and realize, like you said, that like this too shall pass. And like, there's people who have it worse, right? Like there's always someone that's in a worse situation. Your situation you could think is bad, but I'm sure it's not as bad as someone else's. So I think just re 
iterating that maybe would <laughs> really just help. But on a lighter note, I guess speaking more on the sense of um, the experiences we've gone through, uh, but maybe not as heavy as some of our conversations right now. But <laughs> do you believe? <laughs> yeah, we we, we, we did. did. You know, but anyway. that's what we like. We we like getting into those conversations. Vicky and I were saying like. Um, this is our first podcast of the new year. We're not really sure. We're like, okay, I hope it's going to go good, uh, but we're loving this conversation right now. So we, we definitely enjoy any in-depth aspects we can into, but uh, we'll take you to our next question though. So balancing mental health obviously is a large concern, but how much do you think physical health and physical wellness are tied into one's mental health? They're, they're very tied together, right? This is all physical health, emotional health, relationship health, all of that works together. And I know I, I kind of made fun of, you know, early on the uh, buying exercise equipment and knowing what I do with it. Having said that, we really have to take care of our physical bodies as well. The nutrition is so important. Drinking water is so important. Simple things like remembering to breathe. You know, when we get anxious, we tend to kind of limit the amount of air we let in. And really, we need to maximize that. So learning how to, how to breathe and exercising, what it does is it makes you breathe. Um, or one of the things, obviously, it does a lot more than that. But getting, getting the, the oxygen flowing, we've really got to keep our bodies moving. And one of the things that, just like in my own personal life, that worked out COVID is that one activity that's socially distanced naturally is golfing. Turns out I didn't know I liked to golf and I've really found that I love golfing. But it does so many different things for me. It gets me out of the house like we talked about. It um, it gets me fresh air. It gets me walking. Uh, you know, basically it's a four-hour walk every day. So we've got to find things that we can do and that can get us out of the house Although, again, I realize it's minus four where you are. You'd, you'd hate to know that it's almost 60 degrees where I'm sitting right now. Is that about 17 for us? Sorry, I don't know the Yeah, conversion. it's about 17. Sorry, yeah, you guys are on the Celsius system. Oh, I'm system so right. jealous. <laughs> 17? Oh, my God, my feet are freezing right now. I have, like, three socks. I don't, <laughs> I'm wearing Ugg slippers. My fiance's like thick working socks. <laughs> it's so oh depressing. I was like, the, the, oh. oh man. I, I love Canada, but this is why I live down in the States, I'll tell You're you. You're smart. <laughs> so, like, 17 is pretty much like, you know, that's like spring. We can go outside and wear shorts oh, yeah. in comfortable weather. Yeah. Totally yeah, it's, fine. It's, it's golf weather out here. We're, I, I could be out right now. So, um, it'll change tomorrow. We're supposed to get a snowstorm here in the oh, next day or two. Oh, that's a take um, Oh my gosh, it's a little drastic. Oh, it goes, it goes. <laughs> uh, so just uh, in October, we had a day where we had, in, in a 24-hour period, went from our highest high, which was like in the upper 80s, to our lowest low in that month, which was like 17 degrees, 17 degrees ours, which is, you know, below zero yours. Oh, Wow. My sinuses could never. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're all over the place. It's you know in Denver, it's crazy in the Denver area. But um, you know, getting back to the physical, yes, meditation, walking, lifting weights, running, Peloton, whatever it is you do, taking some time that'll really help us through these these difficult times. It gets that gets oxytocin flown as well. 
it really does help with the health. It, it would be probably second to the relationships in terms of taking care of yourself. Yeah, I definitely find that's kind of a thing. I got, um, with my going squirrely in my apartment concrete cell, um, I got the new Apple Fitness Plus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it kind of, it brings your, it's like fitness, it's kind of like Peloton, I guess, for Apple, best way to put it. It's got like from yoga to rowing, like it's got everything you could want. You pick your workout, your Apple Watch kind of shows up on your screen, and it almost makes like a oh, guitar cool. hero thing out of it, where it's like, <laughs> well, they, cool. they want your heart rate. That's why you like it. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, <laughs> it gets your heart rate going, and then they're like, look at your heart rate, and then it's like, do it faster to get your heart rate up, You're like, so two good. more notches or whatever it's called. But I find, like, I'm not a person to go to classes, even when the gym was open, but I find that this is, like... It's almost just like so innocently happy. It's fun. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like last year, if you were like, Vicky, go to a class where they're going to be like, come on, let's go. We're having fun. Meanwhile, I'm dying. I would never be. This is not fun to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of laughed in my head too, Tom, where you said that, um, like, working out gives you oxygen i was like it takes away oxygen from me or breathing <laughs> sorry breathing well, well, well you, you end up getting it back i mean it, it does you, you do lose your breath because it just needs so much more oxygen but it really does get it you know going through your system you, you just have to take some time to recover and breathe really heavy afterwards <laughs> keyword sometime <laughs> <laughs> see that's why i like at home because no one can see me dying there <laughs> you go right. The privacy and comfort of your own home. Exactly. The one thing we like doing at home. It's the no judgment zone, right? We're getting back to the judgment it thing. Is. There's nobody there, Very you know, true. giving you a hard time. Exactly. And that's the thing, too. It's like, I feel like actually in the gym, no one is staring at you, like, realistically. I feel like we kind of put that, like, there might be the odd. Craft that in our head. Yeah, like, there might be the odd person that's just kind of being, like, rude. But I feel like we kind of hype ourselves up to be well, negative. Well, isn't it funny, you know, we're in there going, we don't want anybody to look at us. We don't want anybody to look at us. Oh my gosh, people are going to be looking at me. You realize 90% of the people in that room are all thinking the same thing. Exactly. They're not focused on what you're so looking crazy. at. They're all thinking, I don't want anybody looking at me. So they're all worried about what you're thinking about them. And you're worried about what they're thinking about you. And nobody's really paying that much attention to each other. Or working out at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, and they just yeah. Then then we're just too worried about being judged negatively, right? <laughs> That's crazy. So to switch gears a little bit here, we're talking about the physical aspect. But you obviously, from what we've read, you have a large focus on looking at emotional intelligence as well. So just I guess to briefly touch on that, anything that you would want to relay from that aspect and what you believe is the most important aspect from that? Yeah, so um, emotional intelligence, you know, it's it's been that term's been thrown out about, you know, a lot though over the last 25 years. And I, I kind of glommed onto it because it covers mental health in, in kind of four categories and it, and it and it's easy to remember. Uh, it's more of a heuristic for me than it is, you know, something that I feel like, I don't go around preaching it all, all the time, although I tell people what it is and and certainly we look at, at how to improve it. I actually, I, I almost cringe talking about it because the, the latest Bachelorette had a guy who thought he was very emotionally intelligent. 
oh my gosh, Tom, I was just thinking that, but I was like, that's not professional for me to mention The Bachelor, <laughs> but that's how I heard about emotional uh, intelligence. <laughs> and it's just horrible. If, if you want to see like the antithesis of emotional intelligence, watch this guy talk about it. Um, it's oh, it's, so it's cringeworthy. So I almost feel bad because I feel like I'm going to sound like that guy a little bit. And um, just one of my friends sent me a clip from that. And I just was like, oh, he's just ruined my entire career. Basically, it, it, it comes down to manage, you know, knowing yourself first, right? Self-awareness. Everything starts with, with being able to just know yourself without judgment. Kind of knowing where you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what's going on emotionally inside you, your ability to just observe yourself, kind of accept what, you know, where you are at this moment. But then building on that, you use that self-awareness then to manage yourself better. You know, it's one thing to know yourself, it's another thing to manage yourself. You know, I'm really good at kind of always have kind of known what's going on inside me and how I'm feeling and I could label my feelings better than most people. And so that was a strength. Managing myself, that's harder. Like, you know, that means I've got to push through the difficult times. It means I have to um, keep motivated when I don't really feel motivated. It means I have to find motivation sometimes when I'd rather sit around and, and stare at, at the stars or whatever. You know, so part of being effective then is managing yourself. And that's kind of the interpersonal or intrapersonal part, what goes on inside you. But it's the ability to look at yourself and and kind of say, am I doing the right thing for, for this particular situation? And then the interpersonal part of it is social awareness, you know, being aware of other people and how they're responding to you, and then using that to manage the relationships. So I just find that it's a it's a nice framework for us to be able to kind of stop and think about how we're doing. Am I aware of what's going on? Am I acting in a way that that I can be proud of or that I feel good about or is, or is getting the outcome that I'd like to have? And then how can I use that that empathy? You know, so you can hear in social awareness and relationship management, that's really based on the empathy that we talked about before. Can I use my empathy with other people to help guide me to be more effective in my relationships? I use it as a framework for, for lots of things, for how to communicate more effectively and during difficult times, how to lead other people. Um, because if you use those four kind of quadrants to help you kind of assess yourself and see how you're doing, you're getting, you can get constant feedback that helps you improve and, you know, to bring it full circle to suck less, if you will. I like that. I feel like that's going to be my new mantra. <laughs> I honestly love that. That was hilarious. I was like, oh my goodness, how is this going to sound? We're playing it back. My, my excitement level probably was like through the roof. They're going to have to like take it, take the sound down to like neutralize it with everybody else. It's probably like screaming. <laughs> One thing I do have to ask, and uh, I guess for the sake of our viewers too that haven't watched it, you guys got way too excited over The Bachelor, and I need to know roughly what happened, because <laughs> I'm oh, curious now. Okay, well, I'll just tell you the snippet I saw, because I, I haven't watched it at all, other than this one snippet that my friend sent me. But basically, there was two competing, got, two of the guys were competing for The Bachelorette. One of them, I guess, has a Harvard education and thinks he's a you know, an expert in emotional he thinks intelligence. He's like, he's so like smart and beyond everybody. And like that he, everybody else is like dumb. He's so, he's so arrogant that it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, one, one of the, the hallmarks of not being self-aware is arrogance. 
people who are really arrogant tend to not know how they affect other people. But he bought this other guy a gift, sort of bought, put this really horrible gift package together for this other guy. And the last thing he handed him was a book on how to become more emotionally intelligent and proceeded to tell this other guy how he was deficient in three of the four areas. And he like read it to and him. he's reading it <laughs> so to him. Funny. And the guy's just looking at him like, are you, are you <laughs> even for real? You know? Uh, it's just so awkward and it's so it's just so emotionally unintelligent that it's um it's frightening that's hilarious it was definitely cringeworthy he's one of those ones he wears like a scarf vicky he like oh. <laughs> it belongs like on like uh i don't know just like he like sweater vet like sweaters tied on your shoulder type of oh. thing like that was his look that was his look plus, like, so the look plus his personality just equated to this, like, individual that you're like, is this a joke? Like, is this person actually really spewing this kind of information? And this, the guy he was, like, handing the gift to is, like, 25 or 26. And the guy that his name was Bennett, he's, like, 36 or something, 37. So, like, there's, like, a 10-year age difference almost between these two guys. Oh, Ten wow. years of experiences too. That is so. I just like pictured the as soon as you said sweater on the shoulders too. I pictured That's the it. whole outfit. I call it the Macy's mannequin. Exactly. Like, yes. Yeah. He looks like a mannequin it's like too. Polo sweat. It's always like a blue polo with like a yellow sweater and then like some form of khaki docker shorts and boat shoes. Are you sure you didn't watch the show? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he was wearing. I mean, it was it was almost yeah. that, and. And it will, it really was, you know, I, I've used the word cringeworthy and I know it's come down a couple times, but seriously, I cringed. I just, I, I was with <laughs> you. I was like, is this for real? I can't believe that this guy actually believes that he's all that in a bag of chips. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. That is so funny. I have to watch that now on YouTube. <laughs> you have to. You have to just look at that clip even, but like it will give the whole depiction of the exact situation and you're just going to be like, yep. I know it now. It totally makes sense what Tom and Natalie were talking about. <laughs> oh. Too funny. So obviously we've had some great discussions today. And honestly, we're just, we loved how, uh, how the conversation went. I'm sure there's so much more we can touch on, uh, but we we're almost in an hour of time. So is there any last things that we really didn't touch on that you think our listeners would be super interested to hear? Oh gosh, there, there's a million things, but I, I so much probably, <laughs> there's so I know. much out we'll there. We'll need you on another episode, Tom. Yeah. We'll, we'll need you on another episode. How, sure. how, about, how about if we do that? I mean, you know, it would be fun to kind of maybe come back and talk about how how we can, you know, take certain uh, social neuroscience and emotional intelligence and how we apply it to to leadership and you know, or organizations maybe sometime. But uh, you know, the, the, I think the number one thing is, I would just say, wherever you are, whoever you are you will be the most effective if you truly start with accepting yourself and just being yourself. Be authentic and genuine. People know when you're full of BS. Uh, we have BS detectors, we know. And, and the, more, the, the more you can just be yourself, the, the better, the more effective you'll be and the happier you'll be. 
Very profound. I Love like that. that. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it rounded out all of our conversations. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Like I said, we had honestly an amazing discussion. I think it's a great way to start 2021. So we'll definitely have to have you on again, like we said. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real joy. I've had a great time with you uh, both today and I hope it warms up a little bit wherever you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>